if you've been with me since day one, if you have been following me on the social media, you guys know that a lot of times I'll get sent some bottles, I'll try them, I'll give you my thoughts, whether they're good thoughts or bad thoughts, and we go from there. And sometimes the stars align just so, and I go pick up a bottle that I've either heard about or seen or just been curious about, and it is just great. And that is precisely what happened to me with Redwood Empire's Pipe Dream. So I bought the bottle. I gave it a taste. I really liked it. Did one of my 30-second review, thirty second reviews on it, which you might have seen if you follow me on TikTok or Instagram. And sure enough, Redwood Empire actually reached out and they wanted to do an interview or at least collaborate in some way. And I said, absolutely, I would love to have you guys on the podcast. And so today, that's exactly what we got. We have Redwood Empire on the podcast today to discuss their different blends, how they got started, where they came from, and their lineup of whiskeys in general, as well as a little sneak peek as to where they are going later on this year. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation that I got to have with the minds behind the whiskey that I enjoy so much. We have Jeff Duckhorn, master distiller at Redwood Empire, and Lauren Patz, the head distiller at Redwood Empire. And we're going to have them break down their jobs, what they do, what they look for in their whiskeys, and how their process works. Let's get to that interview right now. So... Today, we've got Jeff and Lauren from Redwood Empire. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Yeah, better now. We're going to taste some whiskey. Yeah, that always makes my day better. That's for sure. I thought maybe just to get started, it would be best if you guys could just kind of run through your roles, uh, what your job titles mean, and what you kind of do at Redwood on a day-to-day basis. Sure. Yeah, I'll start. So, I am a master distiller here at Redwood Empire. Uh, we've been running for, uh, we're in eight, we're just about to start our ninth year of production. So I've been here since day one. And uh, now Lauren's been with us for two years now. Mm-hmm. And Lauren came in as uh, head distiller. And so she's now managing all the day to day operations. Okay. Okay, great. And I think I have this as a later question, but this brings up a a good point is um, you guys do make your own distillate. Do you source any and blend any or is it all Redwood Empire distillate? Yes, we do both. We we make it house and we source. Okay. And then, um, yeah, I guess that that lends itself to most of, or if not all of the bottles I've tried here are blends. So you kind of put your own in there and then use blending to bring out different flavor profiles like we see um, sometimes with, with different whiskeys, right? If you've tried either of the two bottled and bonds, those were those are 100% grain to glass. And then mm-hmm. the three core skews are blends. So the Pipe Dream, the Emerald Giant, and the Lost Monarch are blends. And then the Grizzly Beast and the Rocket Top are grain to glass. Okay, good to know. I Actually, that's what I have is Grizzly Beast right here, which we will talk Wait. about for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I just uh, actually had a little bit and I guess I already finished it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's easy to drink, that's for sure, which I have some, some notes jotted down I wanted to run through here uh, later on. But uh, I, I enjoyed all of them. I appreciate you guys sending those. <clears throat> My, uh, for those, for those listening, my experience with Red, Redwood Empire was not any Redwood Empire reaching out, asking for a promotion, any of that. I just bought a bottle because I heard it was great and I tried it and I was like, this is really good. So I posted a review of it. It was the, uh, pipe dream. And, um, and then you guys reached out after seeing that review, but, uh, it was, I really enjoyed the pipe dream and I've enjoyed what I've tried so far. 
Um, so that's always it's always good when it's just it's just authentic like that. I found it at the store, tried it, and and really enjoyed it. All the way out in Ohio, no less. Yeah, good point. <laughs> All the way across the country. Yeah. Great. Love to hear that. So, uh, I find that the, go ahead. the pipe dream really tends to be kind of the invitation into the lineup and then the rest is like follow through, you know what I mean? Just meeting expectations after that. But the pipe dream really is. It's our gateway drive. Yeah, it's kind of like a gateway <laughs> uh, into the rest of the SKUs that we have for sure. I can definitely see that. It's very, it's very welcoming. It's kind of like, I mean, that's a natural progression for a lot of whiskey drinkers is you come in with like a really nice welcoming bourbon, um, something on like the mid shelf. And then as you get into the, the higher proof, like you guys have the bottle and bond now and rise, which are a little bit, a little bit more aggressive and you have to get into whiskey before you can get into rye whiskey. And so, which is actually kind of a theory I have about your lineup that I think we can, let's just, let's talk about that now. Do you, is that purposeful that uh, the gateway drug and kind of the the progression that you have, we could stick with the the three, I guess, originals. Is it safe to say those were your yeah. originals? I mean, they're all kind of our core offerings. There are every day on the shelf offerings. Yes. So I did a tasting with them and it seemed to me like a it was almost a natural progression from welcoming to complex slash like like spicy like what you start to favor when you're a little bit farther along in your whiskey journey is that intentional or or what or am i just making that up <laughs> I, I, would, I would hope so i think there's maybe some unintentional intent there uh but but yeah i mean I, you know as distillers we love all of our different grains i think we tend to be gravitate a little bit more towards rye because it's really challenging to make. And so when you make it pretty well, you're very excited and it's kind of a badge of courage that we all have. And so I think we, we definitely gravitate more towards rye, but it's not something you can just pick up a, uh, an everyday you know, bourbon drinker and, and get them to appreciate it off the bat. So there is a progression. So uh, actually our Lost Monarch, which is our, our blue label of our three core products, and that's a blend of bourbon and rye. We, 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 re, we released that under a different label initially in 2017. It was still called Redwood Empire, but it was just American whiskey. So at the time, we only released one, one product, one whiskey. And so the, kind of, that was kind of where all the intent started was we were going to release one whiskey. Well, let's do something fun and a little bit different, but also straddles that line and, and kind of blurs that that conversation between bourbon and rye. So it all started with that blend. And then we knew we were going to launch a bourbon and a rye. And, and that kind of came about in 2019. That gave us the opportunity to go back from a design and uh, marketing standpoint and really fine tune some things. Our original packaging was fine, but it really didn't speak to where we are in the world, which is Northern California. We don't we don't aspire to be another Kentucky or East Coast whiskey company or whatever. We're, we're out here in California. So we, we want to talk about where we are in the world. And so with the new packaging launch in 19, we, we have the opportunity to kind of dive into that more, but also now have this bourbon and rye that kind of sit on both sides of the Lost Monarch, which kind of brings it all together. 
Yeah. As a Californian distillery, I think that consumer expectations are different than if we were a distillery from Kentucky or what would be considered a more traditionally uh, distilling state. And so we have uh, an added layer of freedom in flavor you know, development, but also just in the products that we are making. And so I think all three of the core and all of our products kind of represent that freedom in being able to do something maybe slightly more outside of the box. And uh, rye in particular, both Jeff and I are like pretty passionate about as a, as a spirit category. And as you mentioned, for the most part, a lot of people have to kind of develop that appreciation as they develop their overall appreciation for whiskey. Um, but we've really tried to leave that door as wide open as possible. So I often talk about our um, Emerald Giant as being the rye whiskey for people who have been hurt by rye whiskey in the past. It's a very soft, uh, a much gentler uh, expression than specifically uh, right now, stylistically, what people are doing, which tends to be a little bit on the spicier, borderline astringent end of the uh, spectrum of what's out there. And because their uh, rye is still a category that people are familiarizing themselves with, there's more... Um, chances to kind of put your own individual stamp on it. With bourbon, you're kind of set up to uh, achieve a certain flavor profile and a certain um, texture palette-wise. But with rye, I think that the spectrum of expectation is wider, and so you can kind of play within a slightly larger set of roles there. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. People aren't just looking for or anticipating your traditional Kentucky bourbon. You can really uh, expand, and you I think you have done that with the bourbon as well, as you mentioned, since you're not in Kentucky, you're not in your, you know, your Kentuckys, your Tennessees, where people have this presumption of what it's supposed to taste like. Um, and so right. it gives you the ability to really play with it. Um, and I think that's expressed really well through your lineup, uh, which we will be talking about here shortly. So one question that I really like to ask any anybody that I have on the show is where did your whiskey journey begin? Um, what really brought you to actually, you know, being a distiller? For a lot of folks, it's what brings you into collecting bottles of whiskey. But what brought you into the hobby to the point of actually being a distiller and maybe even to the specific niche that you mentioned of um, really focusing in on rye? Well, I was never a hobbyist. <laughs> Um, I grew up in the Napa Valley and my parents had a winery that they, that I kind of grew up considering to be like my other sibling. Um, and, uh, so that was a big part of my childhood. So spirit and, or not necessarily spirit, but food and wine industry was a large part of my, my growth, but I never actually considered ever going into wine. <laughs> I never really thought of that as like a plan. And um, after a few uh, other jobs and things like that, I ended up working at a chocolate factory. And my role there was to do pairings of uh, chocolate and beer, wine, cheese, and of course, uh, spirits as well. And that's really where I developed a, a true love and appreciation for, uh, for spirits. And uh, I started working at another distillery that's about 10 minutes down the road from here. And I was their head distiller for seven years before coming onto the team here. So that's kind of, so I always say I got to whiskey via chocolate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you, if you ask, you know, 10 craft distillers, where they started out in the world, you're going to get 10 radically different stories. It's a very interesting industry where, you know, Laura was just talking about wine. I mean, 
why now, especially out here, there's a, there's a lot of education available. There's a lot of programs, you know, locally here. There's some really good universities for, for winemaking, enology, you know, vineyard, lots of different facets you can go to. For us distillers, I mean, it's still kind of the Wild West. It's a pretty new atmosphere. There, there really isn't a lot of formal education available. So for most of us, it's, it's really like uh, kind of that wandering path where we're coming from somewhere else. Uh, I, myself, personally, I've been with our parent company, which is Purple Brands, and we are a wine and spirits company. You know, of course, being based in, in Sonoma County, kind of heart of the other West Coast wine region, uh, we, we have a big wine portfolio. And I started with the company uh, as, as a cost accountant. So counting the beans, spreadsheets, all that fun stuff. You know, about as far from whiskey as you could be other than wanting to drink whiskey at the end of the day after staring at spreadsheets all day. Uh, but, you know, so we've all kind of come to it from a different from a different place. Um, I, you know, so it's that's what's I think really fun about this industry is that you get a lot of creativity and a lot of different viewpoints that come together and, and ultimately make some really fun stuff. Yes, absolutely. I think, and I've mentioned this repeatedly on my social media, that I just, that's one of the best parts of the whiskey industry, the whiskey hobby, whatever you want to call it, is the diverse background that all, that brings all these different people to the same place, which is pretty amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of people, you never are able to guess the story of what brought them to whiskey. You might just assume it's like, Oh, you know, I used to drink it in college with Coke and eventually I wanted it without the Coke that, you know, that happens sometimes, but one of you threw chocolate and one of you threw accounting, I believe it was. I'm, yes. I'm interested in the story of accounting to distilling. Yeah. So I, I've been with the company now 13 years and our, our owner has been very successful in the wine world and built up some great, you know, very well-known brands out here. And he sold uh, his last wine brand in 2012, uh, Mark West, uh, you know, very big Pinot Noir brand. And uh, he, Derek's, his name Derek Benham, he's always had a nose for up and coming trends. And so he hit Merlot when it was hot in the nineties and then Pinot in the two thousands. And then he wanted to do something else. So he wanted to continue with wine and we have a great stable of up and coming wine brands, but he also wanted to kind of like, get out there a little bit and try something different. And so that's where he started hearing about spirits and got the idea to build a distillery here in our winery. So we're a very large production facility now, wine and spirits. And so that was, you know, 2012 was the time I was doing the accounting, but I kind of heard this talk of like, Hey, we're going to put a distillery in. And, and so I was like, I need to be part of that. <laughs> like I, you know, I was, uh, accounting's fine. Don't get me wrong. I went to school for that. I do love numbers. I love a good pivot table and spreadsheets and all that good stuff. But uh, personally, I like to make stuff. That's what I do when I go home at night. And I've always had a creative, uh, you know, desire and need to, to be out and whether it's in the dirt, growing stuff or home brewing, which I've been doing for many, many years or, or playing with different fermentations, whether it's bread based or kombucha or whatever. So I, so I, I really like this opportunity kind of started being talked about and I, I insinuated my myself into the conversation uh, gently and then more drastically and then kind of uh, through just happy circumstances by the time we got operational in 15, I was day one distiller. So it's, you know, it's kind of how life works out sometimes and the yeah, opportunities present themselves and, and right place, right time and, and, and you take advantage of it. So uh, I can't believe it's been over eight years or almost eight years now that we've been doing it, but it's pretty wild. So 
Uh, it's been great. People often ask, like, how do you become a distiller? And uh, it doesn't really matter what uh, company you're working for or if you're starting your own. You, the plan is always to make yourself invaluable to the overall success of the of the brand and the spirit itself. And Jeff certainly has done that here. And uh, I felt like that was kind of like how I found my own success as well is like whatever needs doing, you know, doing it the best you can possibly do. And just like really going out there, taking initiative. Also cleaning is a big one. Yeah. There's <laughs> a lot of unglamorous things about the industry that don't get talked about. I mean, you have to be very well organized. Yeah. You, right. can, you can make the most amazing thing in the world, but if you didn't document it and you don't know how to reproduce it, then yay, you know, you made that and now what do you do? So it, so it is very important to be, yeah, sanitation super important, documentation super important. So it's it, it really is one of those careers where you need to be well-rounded and it really does help if you have both a creative side and, you know, some organizational structural background as well and, and to help kind of blend that together. Yeah, definitely. Anytime, especially with whiskey, given the aging, anytime I even try to wrap my head around the people handling the inventories, it it terrifies me <laughs> that you've got to predict what you're going to be selling however many years from now when you're putting it into the barrel. Okay. Terrifying. Yeah. It's pretty wild. So we're, I mean, to just give you a little idea of size where we're at right now, we are sitting on uh, just about 16,000 full-size whiskey barrels. So we're all, you know, 53-gallon barrels. That's all we work with here. And about a third of that, so probably right around 5,000, is whiskey that we've made here at our distillery in California over the last eight plus years. And then the rest is whiskeys that we've been collecting throughout the U.S., you know, primarily Kentucky and Indiana. And, yeah, so we've got, you know, quite a bit of whiskey to play with. I mean, from a volume standpoint, I mean, that's well over 300,000 nine-liter cases, 12 packs of whiskey that we're, we get to play with. So Lauren and I have this amazing playground so to speak that we get to delve into uh and all these different flavors and it's just this huge uh you know canvas that we get to work with while we're when we're creating these blends and and at this point really for the core offering the white label we've already created and these blends and so now it's our goal to keep these consistent and to keep the quality as high as possible through time and so that's something that we work on on a regular basis yeah, yeah. And then what, I, I apologize if you mentioned it already, when was that first release that was Lost Monarch but wasn't called it? What year was that? That was 2017. Okay. And so, uh, you know, right around end of summer, early September 2017. And then that lived out in market for a couple of years. And then we did our really a big, you know, the, the official launch of Redwood Empire with these, these this current packaging in fall of 2019. Okay. Yes. And the packaging actually brings me to my next point. Um, because I, I've discussed on, on multiple occasions how whiskey really rides the line between the science and the art. Uh, you guys mentioned the sanitation, the organization, the keeping of the recipes. And there's also the blending, the using your palate to figure out what goes with what. The pairing, like you mentioned, Lauren, with chocolate and with beer and with spirits. Um, so you really get both sides of it. And whether it's on purpose or not, I feel that your guys' labels really help encapsulate that. Um, I always just thought all of the labels I've seen so far are pretty gorgeous. And 
I'm curious as to whether that's on purpose or not, or just in general, the story behind these very artistic labels that kind of pop, aside from, of course, there's a marketing aspect to it, um, but the, the story that led to that. Uh, so Redwood Empire, <laughs> I mean, if you come out here, if you've ever been out to our place in the world, we're an hour north of San Francisco, and the, the Redwood Empire actually is a real place. It's We kind of joke about it because... Everything out here is named Redwood Empire, the garbage company, the law office. Bank. Yeah, banks, <laughs> uh, pet store, uh, food bank, whatever. But but it really is geographically a real place. It is uh, the area north of San Francisco up to the Oregon border along the coast. And it's that coastal region where historically all the redwood trees grew. And a lot of them were logged out over the last several hundred years. But there are quite a few of them left. And we have an old growth uh, forest just 20 minutes from the distillery. And I mean, we're talking massive trees, over a, a thousand years old, you know, over 300 feet tall, you know, 20 feet in diameter, just massive, massive trees. And so, I mean, we really do love our trees. We're in Northern California. And so that's kind of where the, 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 the idea for the branding story started. It was like, let's talk about our place in the world. You know, for people outside of California, you don't really realize, but there's really two Californias. There's Northern California and Southern. There's the beach country and then the coastal kind of rugged outdoor country. And that's kind of more where we're at. You know, we're, uh, you know, less than an hour from the Pacific Ocean, uh, you know, definitely more temperate. I mean, we do have our beaches, but they're cold. Like you wouldn't want to go in the water. It's 50 degrees. You'd have to wetsuit up. But so we're definitely more kind of that a little bit more rugged outdoorsy. So that's that's the brand overall. What we're trying to tap into is, is our place in the world. We're in Northern California. And not shy away from the fact that we are making uh, spirits in California, right? We mentioned a little bit before about like where the expectation is. I mean, oftentimes we'll run into people who say, oh, you can't make bourbon unless it's in Kentucky, right? We in this group all know that that's not true. Not true. Um, but that's still a, a widely held uh, belief and idea. And so I think part of uh, part of this branding was really kind of owning the fact that we are separate from that, at least in, in some way. And then kind of embracing the art magistry, uh, majestic qualities of those trees and translating that through kind of technical distilling decisions and hopefully um, having that same kind of uh, awe-inspiring experience as you do when you're walking underneath those redwoods on your palate when you're tasting these whiskeys. Well said. Oh, yeah. Very well yeah, said. So Pipe Dream, Lost Monarch, Emerald Giant, these are actually living trees that are in forests in Northern California. And so they've been around for over a thousand years. The latitude, longitude is on the bottle. So you can actually Google that and go to these trees. And so you, again, bring you right back to that sense of place. The imagery and the quotes is uh, John Muir is our muse. So John Muir is uh, the grandfather of the National Park System, Yosemite and Really, the parks in general are 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 here because of him, and so it's uh, we're kind of paying homage to him, and because he's really the reason we still have these parks. And so there's kind of some fanciful likeness of him on some of our imagery, and there's quotes from him on each of our front labels. Okay, yeah, and I had I didn't know that until I had started looking into your guys's company about the these being trees. That's what the names are. If people are wondering, like, where do they get these wild names from? It's actual redwoods, which is really cool. Um, yeah, and if you if you read the back label, which most people don't, but there there are, the back <laughs> label does have three panels on it. It has a panel about the whiskey, 
uh, on the on the white labels uh, on the core products, uh, and then about the forest that the pipe dreams in, and then the actual the individual pipe dreams. So it gives you some details on 367 feet tall. It's in Redwood State Park. It's among the fastest growing trees uh, ever measured. Uh, so yeah, so just some fun stuff, kind of again bring you back to our geographic place in the world. Yeah, that is fun. I always love when a whiskey has a story to it. Whenever there's a little bit extra that you can read up on it, you know, a lot of times I'll drink a glass and I'll be reading the label, be looking it up online, things like that. Um, that's all. That always makes it a little bit more enjoyable. And so yeah, so if we want to spend you know a few minutes just talking about the individual whiskeys, I mean, I, this is your show. I'll let you guide it, but um, you know, happy to get into a little bit more details on these these individual spirits. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I do have some notes written up on Grizzly Beast, which I'm drinking right now. Um, <clears throat> I probably won't go nose palate finish for all of them quite yet. But um, I do want to kind of dive into Grizzly Beast, given that it's newer and so far from my tastings I've done, I think it might be my favorite, um, but I'm, I'm going to have to do more tastings and I'm probably going to be doing a video on that here soon, breaking down kind of all five of them. I love a lineup. I love, I do that with Weller too, breaking down a lineup and, and the differences and things. Um, <clears throat> so leading into the whiskeys, I did want to ask, I saw some, some things on your website about a custom built still. I wasn't sure if there's anything different about the still that you guys use? And if so, like, like what it is that's different about it, or if it was more so just custom built to fit your like location and your process, basically. Well, I would consider every still to be custom built. <laughs> yeah. Like, sure. it's, like a, it's like a hot rod or a car, like everyone, they are all unique. I mean, for us that run them. For, I, for sure. But, um, our still is a head frame still. So they are a manufacturer out of Butte, Montana. And um, it is a continuous column still, but on a slightly smaller scale than some of like the larger companies like a Vendome or, or things like that. So it was a really great start uh, for the company overall to kind of get, um, you know, foot in the door into mixing whiskey. We're at about four barrels, if it's rye, five barrels of, uh, if it's bourbon, a day production wise. Um, so it's definitely a workhorse for us, um, but we are, looking to increase that capacity right jeff oh yeah <laughs> awesome yeah so it's a, you know it's a pretty pretty typical classic column setup so it's uh you know it has uh, 14 trays in it you know it has a main stripping column uh, ours does have a couple of vodka columns in the middle uh, we don't make a lot of vodka here internally but it has the capability and then i think where it really shines is it does have a finishing column a smaller column that does a redistillation uh, just for making that final heads cut. And so it does a really great job of, of allowing us to really dial in our flavors from, from that head standpoint. And it's been a lot of fun to run over the last eight years. Uh, I know Lauren's enjoyed it. Lauren joined us uh, from, from running a, a kind of a pot. A Carl pot still, so yeah. very different. <laughs> very different setup. And so I love her opinion on things and I love her feedback and her palate because it's just very interesting to see the differences on pot versus column. I mean, for most of us, when you get to a certain size, it's it's pretty challenging to continue to run stuff on pots. They just are. There's some there's some efficiencies that it's really hard to reproduce without a lot of copper. Uh, so we like our little column. As as Laura mentioned, we are looking to upsize that. Current column is 24. Uh, excuse me, 12 inches in diameter. We're looking to get a 24 inch. You change the you double the diameter. You about double the height. And uh, you you about nine x your output, 
So it's a, it's a pretty big uh, growth. Yeah. yeah. So that's our, our goal would be to get to that next level, hopefully over the next couple of years, where we can really start to lay down a ton more California whiskey. Awesome. And so then all of your grain to glass selections that we're about to discuss here, those all come from uh, that column still at this moment in time? Correct. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. So I, yeah, I do imagine you got uh, quite a bit of the cleaning in the, the transfer over probably, huh? <laughs> As you guys Especially mentioned. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. All right. So to get to the whiskey lineup, this is what everybody came for, right? We can, uh, we can start to discuss the fun stuff here. So I started with Pipe Dream. That was the one that I went out and bought. And I'm not going to physically drink the, the five glasses at the moment, um, but I will be drinking the, the Grizzly Beast as we go here. But sure. um, <clears throat> Pipe Dream, you guys mentioned it's your, it's your gateway drug selection, if you will. It's easy to drink. It's sweet. And it evokes close to what you might expect, what your Kentucky bourbon drinker might look for, but still seems to put a little bit of its own spin on it. Um, For me, I thought it just had a really good, in the $40 range, I which is what it is in Ohio. Um, I expect a little bit of like a harshness left on my palate. I expect a little bit of kind of the, the funky type of char that you get sub $40 a lot of the time. Not, it's not a rule, but it, it happens. Um, and to me, it just, it just came across clean and it came across with more, it didn't lean into the wood in terms of the notes that I got as much as I would have anticipated. I got more of this kind of spicy sweetness from it um, that I don't have my notes in front of me on, but I really enjoyed. Uh, so I'll let you kind of take it from there. But what is, if you had to, you know, in a couple sentences, say what is Pipe Dream? What does somebody expect from Pipe Dream? Uh, what would you What would you say that is? I think anytime you have bourbon on your label, you have to you have to stay to the standard at the very least. And so the standard for me when I'm drinking or if I'm judging bourbon, um, it is that it does have that really pleasant sweetness, but even more important is the texture. So you have to have uh, longevity on the palate and creaminess. And uh, that has a lot to do with uh, our blending process here. We are, as Jeff mentioned, very lucky that we have this incredible library of whiskey to pull from and to craft from. And so with that and as, uh, as our arsenal, we can really execute very well on creating uh, very well-balanced products. So we can round out any of those harsh, harsh edges and uh, really kind of make uh, and achieve the the flavors that we're wanting to in every whiskey, but in the pipe dream in particular. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think it it shows the art of blending because it's, you know, this is, it's, this is uh, bourbons from four States, uh, probably seven different distilleries, uh, you know, lots of different mash bills, ages anywhere from four years on the minimum all the way up to 14 years. So you have just this incredible complexity and all these components. But at the end of the day, what Laura and I share in common is we're all about balance and harmony and, and maybe even a little restraint. I mean, I, you know, we, we want things to be, have like a little bit of a delicacy to them and, and, and to just to have you kind of, you know, peel back that onion and not get, you know, whacked in the face with a ton of wood right off the bat. Right. You know, or a ton, ton of tans or, some, you know, aggressive flavors. And so, and I think this really does deliver on that where you can just kind of slowly let it layer and open up over you, 
having that older uh, bourbon to work with really does help with that length, which I think is just, it's, it's hard to find, especially like you said, at this price point, because it's just hard to re you can't recreate that length with, with young bourbon. You have to only age will get you that length on the palate. And so having all of this to play with really gets us there, which is just, again, a ton of fun. Yeah. And so maybe that's uh, my lack of knowledge there, unless I don't know if it was on the website or not, but for the, the pipe dream, what ages of bourbons are we looking at in, in that blend? So four year minimum, that's what's on the label because we're required by, you know, we, we can only put the minimum, but we have up to 14 year working for us on that. Okay. So it's probably, you know, the average is there's a lot of six to eight, six to six and eight year old in there as well. So just yeah. as, as we get older, we're putting older stuff in our blends, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That does explain a little bit for me though, that, that length, that kind of roundness that you both mentioned, um, it doesn't have that as much of that young, uh, kind of just burn kind of that, that the tannic without the sweetness that you get with the age. Um, and that actually explains, I had no idea that it was that old. Cause as you mentioned, age statements always have to be the minimum barrel that goes into the bottle. Um, so that's very good to know. Yeah. Uh, so then moving into lost monarch. Now this, I, maybe I went a little bit backwards. I'm going in the order that I had them, but, uh, lost monarch being what you had originally released, what Redwood originally released. Uh, you've got a blend of bourbon and rye, which if I'm not mistaken, um, which really brings some playful balance there where you're getting that spice of the rye, you're getting that sweetness of the bourbon, and you're also getting whatever strange kind of characteristics pop out of the interplay between those two. Um, was there a specific flavor you were going for when that was originally distilled or originally blended, I should say? I mean, I love rye. So when they said, okay, in 2017, you get to make one whiskey, I was like, uh, let's do something that has rye as the forward characteristic. So this is about 60% rye in the blend uh, and then 40% bourbon, but there's enough of that bourbon to where it does round that out. And I, you know, I think as, as you said, and that was really well said, you know, on the interplay that you, 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 you take two components, you put them together and you get something totally new. And I think that this is, this is really fun to taste people blind on because it's a, it's a big, it's a lot of that. What is it? You know, is it a, is it a rye? Is it a bourbon? Is it a Kentucky? You know, it's, it's, there's some Kentucky ryes out there that have a lot of bourbon in them, uh, you know, and then there's, there are some, some bourbons that are really high rye and, and it's neither, but it has some of those qualities of both. And so I think it's super fun. I mean, the ryes are younger, so you're getting your youthfulness from that and the spice, but there's just enough of that bourbon in there to, to really round it out. And I, I, I like that. I think this is like our entry for rye drinkers. Like, you know, you're getting more and more people interested in, in coming to the rye party. And like, this is your, this is your, your, you know, this is how you get in. Like, this is how you kind of start to explore that rye universe without getting totally knocked off your, your, your feet with a, you know, 95, five out of the gate. So yeah, I think it's just super fun. I mean, American whiskey is having uh, a bit of a moment right now, and by American whiskey, I mean whiskeys that don't necessarily fall into the spirit category type of bourbon or rye, like blended whiskeys and things like that. There's a lot of distilleries and brands out there doing some really fun things and kind of uh, revitalizing the, 
I guess I would say the reputation of blended whiskeys. I think that it's had kind of a negative connotation for a while. And so I'm happy to see some of the really fun things that are, are kind of coming out right now. Um, and also it's just incredibly versatile uh, as a spirit, um, both, you know, sipping, of course, but for cocktails, it just really kind of provides a, a really wide range of, uh, of ability when mixing. Yeah, I always tell people if they're going to have one of these three in their back bar at home, like Lost Monarch's the one to have. Or if you're going to a party, you want to bring a, a good party whiskey, like, because it's just, it is super versatile. Like, people will drink it neat, they'll be happy with it, but you can also cocktail it all day long, and it's just, it's it's just super fun. Yeah, it's it's versatile, and I would add in, it's not going to be very similar to the other stuff you've already got behind your bar. If you've got your bourbon and you've got your rye, it's like you said, if you do this in a blind tasting, it's like what am I tasting right now? It's really got that unique characteristic to it. Um, that I haven't tried it in any cocktails. I might have to give that a try. Do you have a recommendation for a specific one you guys like with it? I mean, I, I like all the classics, you know, I, I mean, we're pretty spirit forward in yeah. the cocktail category. So it sounds boring, but you know, like, Manhattan's and old fashions. I love a good highball and I've actually, I went out of the three, I choose the lost monarch for that. Yeah. Because, because that again is you're just, you're elevating the spirit and, and it does really play well with that. I like a good paper plane. I'll do that with just about anything, but it's, it's fun with the lost monarch too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So then <clears throat> you've got the Lost Monarch. Like you said, it's a great entry into rye. You get to kind of understand that character that rye brings to a whiskey. And from there, you can step to Emerald Giant, which is a rye. Is it 100% rye blended? Uh, I mean, it, it is a rye whiskey. So yeah, it is all rye whiskeys in the blend. And so okay. it's a blend of predominantly 95% rye, 5% malt barley. Okay. And then there's some 90% five malt barley, 5% wheat. Uh, we love our wheat here in, at the distillery here in Grayton. So we put wheat in both our bourbons and our ryes that we make here in-house. Pretty much all our recipes have some component of wheat in them. So it has a touch of wheat from us. And then we also were playing with some more malt on some of the other mash bills as well. So since it's a blend, again, it allows us to play with some different components to to take a little bit of a, a detour from your kind of classic 95.5 spice box. So I think it's got a lot of that in it. It's if you smell it and, and the roots are there and you know what you're, there's no mistaking what this is when you, when you nose it and you get into it. But I like to think that we do kind of uh, give it a little, little twist with what we're adding to it from both our stocks and also the other the blending components. It's certainly savory, but it isn't harsh. You know, I think that is one of the things that can distance people from rye, unfortunately, uh, is that it can be harsh in your mouth, on your palate, just like overall too much. And so um, I think this is where some of that finesse and restraint that both Jeff and I like to exercise comes into play. It is a much more approachable, easy drinking rye without losing the heart of what that spirit is. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I think I I see that in a lot of the lineup that I have tried so far is that it ha I feel like each one that I've had so far we talked about the the pipe dream with having the older bourbons in it that gives it this characteristic you don't really expect at $40. I think everything that I've had so far from your lineup has something that stands out that makes it a little bit different and I think for the Emerald Giant that would probably be it would be that 
I don't want to say smoothness. Smoothness gets overused a lot, but it is a more approachable, but somehow still brings the really the very rye forward flavor. It's almost a little bit herbal, a little bit of spice, um, and so I'm I'm less versed in the Emerald Giant and in the Rocket Top. I'm still working on on those, but I have tried them a couple times, and uh, I like to get a little farther down in a bottle before I give a, a full opinion, but. So far, I can say that they they stand out a little bit, and I I really enjoy that, Um, which would lead me to the next one. That would be Rocket Top, and this is a bottled and bond rye, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh So this is 100% in-house made spirit, and uh, we're doing five years uh, on the age, and the second uh, batch of the Rocket Top is my favorite thing. (laughs) that we've put out. Um, It's a four grain rye. So there is a little bit of corn in there. And then wheat, of course, malted barley and predominant uh, is rye. But um, there's just a little bit uh, of that corn in there that gives it uh, a little bit more longevity on the palate than rye tends to have. Sometimes the rye can lift too quickly and that's what gives it that tingling uh, sensation on your palate is it just evaporates kind of like right in the middle of you enjoying it. And so this gives up just a little added weight there to kind of hold it in place so you really get the full effect of the flavor that's going on. And then I love like uh, sage, I love tobacco, I love super herbal uh, and uh, and savory flavors um, just overall. And so I kind of liken uh, this in particular to like a Ricola. It has some of that kind of medicinal <laughs> sweetness to it that I really love. Lauren loves her aquavits. I loves do. Her crazy <laughs> that's a I that's a good descriptor her. though. I the herbal the herbal forward notes are definitely there. I don't know my herbs very yeah. well because I don't have to when I do bourbon reviews. It's you know caramel and and cinnamon, but uh, sage really. I was like, oh, that you're absolutely right. It's got that that herb forward palette to it. Yeah, I mean so. You start distilling and you start putting stuff in barrels and then you visit them often and then you stop visiting them as often because you start to realize that it's it's a long game. And it's kind of depressing, like, quite frankly, early on because you're like, man, when are these things ever going to be ready? And so that was the first couple of years for us. But then you get to that point where, like, you get into, like, year three or year four and you're starting to taste them and you're like, okay, all right, they're coming back, they're coming around, like, and so for us, like, it is a pretty magical time because, I mean, the first three we talked about, that's the art of blending. It is an amazing art. It's super fun. It's, it, there's a lot of amazing people in the world that do that for a living. But this is, you know, kind of the, the, the opposite of that. This is what we did at a certain point in time in the distillery, especially with Bottle and Bond. You're only allowed to, to co-mingle in a six-month window. So this is all... In the case of batch two, it's all spring of 2017. So this is it, it's it almost kind of lays you naked as a distiller. It's like this is what we were doing at this point in time in the distillery. Love it or hate it, this is who we are. And so it's I mean it's 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 a, it's a um, you know it's a bit nerve wracking, but it's also it's a pretty fun and gratifying moment to be able to get your products to market from that standpoint as well because it's just it's and it's also it really does show the evolution of a distillery. So I'm really looking forward to seeing from this craft distilling movement, seeing all of us mature over time and seeing the offerings that we all continue to put out year after year of our bottle and bond or our hundred percent grain glass or whatever we're calling it, but just watching us all evolve over time because it is, it's just a really fun thing to see over time. 
Yes. As someone whose podcast is uh, really riding the wave of that excitement, I can say I very much am enjoying it as well. Uh, <laughs> we're going through such a renaissance right now. Yeah. Um, so that has to be, that's, that's another thing when I think about it too much, it stresses me out, is cracking open those barrels after you're like, okay, we think it's been aged long enough. Let's see what we've got. There's some monitoring throughout the process. but right. um yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then sitting down and saying, okay, what do we think we have? Um, how, this is a question I've always wanted to ask. I'm sure there's people who, who are listening who want to know the image of what you're going for in your head. When you write the recipe, when you distill it originally, you throw it into barrels. Um, how would you compare that to the image that you get when you go to try it? Do you go in with certain expectations or is it kind of like, I think this combination is going to taste good. Let's see what it tastes like on the other side. It's a good question. I mean, it, it, the, the, the runway is so long that I honestly couldn't tell you what I was thinking in spring of 17 when I mashed this. I mean, I think I had some ideas. I mean, Again, uh, we're looking for complexity always. So our, our mash bills are always going to be, you know, at least three grain, a lot of times four grain, you know, playing with different barrel treatments. We have a lot of different cooperages we've played with in different char levels. And so, uh, you know, we're just trying to tease out complexity through flavors. So, I mean, I think broadly was what, you know, I, I was looking for, but like directionally, I don't know. I mean, it's like, you're like, you open it up and, and you hope it's good. Yep. I feel like this point in our careers, like we know a little bit better what to expect based off of the decisions that we're making at the start of the process. You're just crushing my modesty. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, look, starting certainly, you, all you have to go on is other people's product, right? And so you're like tasting through other people's product, tasting through uh, and trying to find out as much as you can process-wise when you are figuring it out for yourself. Uh, but I think at this stage, uh, I mean, we've certainly started making some adjustments to our overall mash bills. And um, one of the biggest adjustments is just uh, overall diversity of what we're doing because we are so focused and really enjoying the blending aspect of what we do. So uh, we do an incredible variety of mash bills um, in-house, and that's what we are pulling from for the core, but also uh, for the uh, grain to glass offerings as well. But in terms of for like the idea, the concept for blending, I personally always have, I have to have a strong vision uh, that I'm working towards uh, when we're doing it. And then that helps with the decision making process. So we just started today um, going through barrels for batch three of the uh, bottled and bond. And um, a lot of that is done via nose. I'd say the first uh, yes or no comes on the nose. And then the second is, uh, is flavor profile. And then third is um, overall blending uh, balance. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So, um, you're kind of getting you're getting both in that regard that you're putting these mash bills out like I hope this one goes this direction I hope this goes this direction and then blending them together to and then you can really dial it in from there you kind of got your course adjustment in your mash bill and your fine adjustment in the blending if, if that's fair to say yes yeah that's very fair yeah. and, and we have been visiting these throughout the course of their life so we have by now by the time they get to definitely four years we have a pretty good idea where they're going to be at. And so it's not like we're going into this blind, you know, they, they, most whiskeys have this awkward teenager phase where they're a couple of years in and you're just like, I don't know if it's ever going to be okay. 
And then they come out of that and they all come out of it at different. It's not like it happens magically at three and a half years for everything or four or whatever. I mean, it just really depends upon where you're at, how you made it, what you're aging it in, a lot of different factors. And so, but, but we've, we've been doing this long enough that we have a pretty good idea when things are starting to come out of that phase and, and we've been visiting them. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a super fun process. It's a labor of love. I mean, like Lauren said, we have, the, the grizzly beast, we have, you know, almost 200 barrels that, that we have to pare down, you know, to, I think, around 100. And so it's just it's, it's going through that process and, you know, trying to you don't want to pick all the best ones. You don't want to pick all the most interesting ones. You want to kind of try to straddle this line where you're, you're, you're thinking about the, the holistic blend and how that's going to play. And so you're trying to, you know, pick these flavor notes out and think about how they're going to interact together. Yeah. Yeah, you want it to be greater than the sum of its parts, right? Yeah, that's really the trick with blending. I've discussed that a couple times on this show is everybody loves to talk about the honey barrels. There's a barrel and it's just the best thing you've ever tasted. Uh, but unless you're selling nothing but single barrels, you're not going to just sell that honey barrel. You've got to find a way to mix it in with the barrel that ah, maybe this one had too much bitterness. And, and, you got, and that's really the art of the art of blending a, a blend such as like Grizzly Beast, um, which is a great segue. Let's let's talk about Grizzly Beast because that's what I'm drinking at the moment. So far, this might be my favorite. I loved Pipe Dream, as I've mentioned on multiple occasions, and I thought the only thing that might make this better is if it just had a little bit more kick to it, maybe a little bit more proof, maybe a little bit more spice. And then you guys sent me a bottle of Grizzly Beast, and I was like, all right. <laughs> I really, I thought it brought the nice, the brown sugary sweetness and it delivers that and then it hits you with that spiciness. You've got some fruitiness that reminds me of like cherries. Um, and I love, I love, love, love when different profiles are kind of delivered at different times. It's one of those things that you're not just hit with everything right up front. What am I interpreting? But you've kind of got this this spiciness, this sweetness, and it deepens into that, like that darker brown sugar, um, which I really enjoy. And I did later on, I wrote down my notes that I, that I get from it. And I did later on look up the notes that Redwood Empire suggests or what, what is uh, considered to be the profile of the whiskey. And I loved molasses. I was saying brown sugar, molasses, a little bit darker. It kind of deepens on your palate as you're drinking it. And I really enjoy that about it. Yeah. I love the red fruit on this, this batch too, in particular, like you were saying, the, the fruits on it are, are just, you know, like raspberries. I mean, there's definitely some stewed fruit, but there's also some just super bright fruits as well. And it's just, yeah, this one's been very fun. I find that those often are coming from, you know, the grain and the fermentation side of things. And that's why I really love bourbon. That's kind of right between like a four to seven year old is kind of like my sweet spot age wise when it comes to bourbon. Otherwise it tends to go a little bit heavier into the barrel flavor, which, you know, is enjoyable and great, but I like some of the tartness, some of the acidity, some of that brighter flavor that kind of makes it pop a little bit differently on your palate. It's not just all, you know, cream and uh, oak and, and things like that. Yes. Yeah, and, and this batch is 23% rye. So there's a pretty significant amount of rye in it. And then 7% wheat and 4% barley. So, but I like the, the, the way the rye plays in this where it's just, you know, it's there, it's creating that note. You are getting some of those herbal characteristics and some spice, but 
it is still pretty darn drinkable for 100 proof and just got some nice smoothness to it yeah and i think that that's a you kind of check a few boxes there um with as i mentioned i'm really enjoying the grizzly beast so far and it it checks a few boxes for me where a lot of times you might get a lot of sweet maybe you just have a welcoming bourbon you might get a lot of spice maybe you've got a really punchy exciting bourbon um you might get sweet with some spice sweet with some fruit fruit with some spice i feel that this palette for me personally at least really has a nice transition of all three um i i sometimes i'll get some sips i'll be like oh this is more spicy some sips i really get that that molasses after i read it it was like it clicked in my mind that that deepness and then some sips it's it is just straight fruit it's so bright uh for me it's cherries i get that that sort of cherry especially on the nose um mixed in with that cinnamon that um almost is like a cherry pie type type of flavor and i really enjoy that it's a fun spirit i think evolution palette evolution is the key to kind of creating excellent spirits right something that you can sit with something that um, evolves not only in the glass but also uh, on your palate because it wants to continuously engage you you want to keep going back for more because there's potentially another surprise uh, around the corner waiting for you yeah so this is batch two we launched this last fall the, the goal for us is to have a ball and bond release once a year you know somewhere in the early fall late summer and so, like Lauren said, we're, we're, we're starting to blend together batch uh, three right now. And we'll slowly grow, grow these over time. I mean, sadly, we have our still, and it only makes so much whiskey. And that all is precious for us, and we have many uses for it. So these will never be huge and super widely available, but the goal is to get them a little bit more widely available each year. And so we're launching you know, this, uh, and then we have a couple other products as well that we're slowly getting to market. So we're excited to continue to grow our portfolio. Yeah, that that brings me to my couple of last questions that I had for you guys. Is there anything specific coming up that you want to mention or reveal or even for those who haven't seen the Grizzly Beast and the Rocket Top? I think they know about it now. Um, but what is there anything going on specifically you want to mention? Well, funny you should mention it. Yeah, funny <laughs> you should mention it. We had our first release for cask strength uh, towards the end of last year. Kind of like mid fall, right? And yeah. so we're going to be doing another release. It was very widely appreciated, which we love because, you know, cask strength for us is the way to go. <laughs> um, so the cask strength we're going to be releasing again. That'll be the, the soonest thing to, to release in the near future. And, um, and, and those are for each one of these three core SKUs. Yeah, so it's essentially the exact same recipe as the Pipe Dream, the Lost Monarch, and the Emerald Giant without the water rat. So you can do that at your leisure to whatever amount you want or none at all. Yeah. And so we've been wanting to do that for a while here because when we're making these blends, we're making them all at cast strength and they are pretty darn delicious at cast strength. So we finally got approval for that uh, last year. And so that'll hopefully be something that'll start to kind of get into the rotation a little bit more as we get through time. And then this fall, we're planning to do some new releases. We're gonna do a, uh, a weeded bourbon a high ride bourbon, and then our our first uh, single malt release, which will be super fun as well. So those are all going to be things. They're going to be pretty small, so you'll get a little bit in Ohio, probably not a lot, uh, but they're gonna they'll be available a little bit online too. You know, we try to we have great uh, partnerships with distributors, so we're probably more geared towards traditional distribution versus doing a ton of stuff online. But we do some stuff online as well, so those will be 
fun things to look forward to in the uh, probably starting September, October timeframe. Okay. That's very exciting. Yeah. Do me a favor. Make sure some of that uh, cask strength pipe dream makes its way to Ohio in some trucks. That way I can find it at my <laughs> at my brick and mortar. Because that we can work on it. cask strength is, is obviously not just a trend right now, but it's very appreciated uh, when you're looking for something for a little bit more kick. Like you said, dilute it yourself, whatever strength you want. That's that's always great. That puts the power in your hands. And ours are a little bit, again, more restrained. We're around 117 proof. We're not we're not chasing proof here. So uh, that's just kind of how things work out based on our entry proof of our barrel, which is typically around 110 and some of our other components that we're bringing out west. So we're right around that 117, which I think for cask is a, kind of that great sweet spot where it's, it's still a lot of alcohol in your glass, but it's not... 130, 135. It's not, it's not going to completely wreck you. It's a nice kind of in between. Yes, absolutely. I find that for me, any like right around the 115 mark is where I really enjoy when I'm looking for something that's going to kick me a little more. The 115 mark is always pretty great. You get up. I'm not, I'm not into the hazmat quite yet. The the hazmat stuff up over one, not, not yet. (laughs) Um, so to, to finish things up here, I, I appreciate you guys taking the time to talk to me. Uh, this has been super informative. Definitely a lot of fun for for a whiskey nerd like myself. Um, is there, you know, everybody would love to have just record breaking sales. That's one goal that anybody could have. But what mark do, do you guys think you would want to leave on the whiskey industry specifically? I think we've kind of we've kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, what would you want to be, you know, the Redwood Empire legacy, if you will, moving forward into the next decades? I mean, I'll go first. I'm sure we have different thoughts on that. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, in general, for me, I just I, I think it's fun to put California whiskey on the map, but not just California whiskey, but to to show the geographical differences and that, that that's OK. I mean, you're seeing this movement in Texas right now. You're seeing some other in the northwest. You're seeing a whiskey movement. I think it's just to get those preconceived notions out of people's minds and get people more adventurous and willing to try different spirits, even outside of whiskey from different places and to, you know, to kind of break down those walls a little bit. So that, that would be the one thing that I'm excited. And I'm, I'm hopeful that we can help continue to, to kind of bring light to this movement of, Hey, you can make really good whiskey in a place you never thought you could. Oh my goodness. Um, oh gosh, I mean, so many marks that I want to make. Uh, <laughs> I think one of the the biggest ones that I would like to see is um, kind of the expansion into other types of grains, and uh, but using them in corporation with some of uh, of what we already have going to kind of showcase them in different ways. I mean, triticale is one that I really love and enjoy working with. Um, spelt as well uh, is, uh, is a really beautiful grain to be working with. And so, um, obviously we all love corn and, and, you know, some of us love rye, me included. Um, but I want to kind of showcase some of the other raw materials out there and really what they have to offer in terms of complexity and, uh, flavor depth. Okay. Yeah. So I think in, in both cases, you've got, um, branching things out a little bit more, pushing that envelope as to what we're seeing right now versus what we should be seeing here in the next decade or so. Yep. Not your grandfather's whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I don't have any complaints about that. I, I don't think there's any, um, any chance that I'm going to be bored with the whiskey podcast in the next decade. I don't see that. I don't see the industry slowing down very much. <laughs> yeah. Certainly not the passion for it. 
Definitely. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys taking the time to talk to me. Um, that's all that I had for my my specific questions. Um, and I really just appreciate the the in-depth discussion about your process, what you've got going on, and of course, the whiskey lineup. Um, I Like I said, I love to hear the stories behind whiskey. I know a lot of my listeners do as well. And it really helps when you can kind of peel back that curtain and, and learn a little bit about the whiskeys that you're drinking. So uh, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Do you have any closing comments that you'd like to share? I don't think so. I mean, we really appreciate the time that you, you've given us today and great questions. You definitely know your stuff. So it's always fun to chat with somebody that appreciates the craft. Yeah, I'm not drinking in February except for, for work. So I especially appreciate this opportunity. <laughs> Anytime. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's great. Well, it's been a pleasure, guys. Um, So enjoy the rest of your evening. It's a little bit earlier there for you than it is for me, but uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Whiskey Noobs. If you like the show, please make sure to leave a five-star rating or review to help grow the show and get the word out. You can also find more Whiskey Noobs content on Instagram at Whiskey underscore Noobs and on TikTok at Whiskey Noobs Podcast. If you want to drink right along with me, make sure to join the email list by sending an email to WhiskeyNoobsPodcast at gmail.com with a subject line saying email list. You will receive monthly emails with a list of the whiskeys that will be featured throughout the month so that you can buy them ahead of time and drink right along with the show. Once again, thanks for listening to this episode. The Whiskey Noobs podcast does not support underage or otherwise irresponsible consumption of alcohol.